Bizzle. I'm called the Jesse James. Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Yo, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah, the Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzle cast. Boy, do I have something special for you today. Because with the fourth anniversary of the Bizzlecast just a few short weeks away, I managed to dig up my Thor commentary from three years ago that I never released. And believe me, I'm not exaggerating when I say that it Thor has been and remains easily my favorite MCU solo film, non-team-up, Avengers, Guardians, etc., um, Black Panther, I consider a team up as well. Thor is my favorite solo movie. Definitely my favorite first solo um, after the, the Winter Soldier, which, you know, might still be my favorite overall movie outside of The Avengers. I had an absolute blast revisiting my crazy predictions. Uh, I was right about a decent amount of stuff. I was confused at the time. You know, still 2016. We didn't know all the pieces. But the... While the Asgardian high Shakespearean drama at the beginning and end with Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins and Tom Hiddleston is like epic, awesome drama that we almost never get, um, in, uh, in Marvel because, you know, Thor and the Norse gods is such a different situation, but also the actors and having Kenneth Branagh as the director. I mean, it was just the perfect storm. However, the, the longest act is the middle act on earth with Natalie Portman, who's adorable and hilarious with Kat Dennings, who's adorable and hilarious and still in Skarsgård as the semi-alcoholic, uh, you know, skeptic trying to watch over, uh, you know, Natalie who's his daughter of his, if you know, uh, late best friend or whatever. Natalie being a science nerd and hitting Thor with the car. I mean, I just absolutely love this. My favorite Natalie Portman performance. I think they have maybe the best just straight physical chemistry. I know most people would disagree. There's a lot of Natalie haters out there, but I think Natalie and, and Hemsworth just are, are magnetic, which shows how much the second movie failed in the writing because they lost that magic. But in this one, it's total magic. Um, and, you know, Thor having lost his powers, but still being as arrogant and, and dumb and, you know, evolving a tiny bit by the end of the movie, um, at least being way more worthy and, and ready to be a full Avenger and save the universe. Um, it's the human stuff on Earth, uh, him delivering his Shakespearean Norse god lines, you know, with these three ragtag uh, uh, sites, nerds. Um, I could go on and on. I don't normally do an intro, um, and the commentary is totally done. I had forgotten that as well. So I'm going to count you right in. Um, pretty simple. You go to zero hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. I'm going to count three, two, one. I'm going to say go. You hit play, and it should line up almost perfectly if you have the normal Thor DVD, Blu-ray, or digital file. So I really hope you enjoy this. Thank you for sticking with me. One of my favorite all-time movies, and I had a blast with the commentary. Hope you guys too. And here comes the countdown. Three, two, one, go. All right. Welcome to Thor, the first Thor movie starring Chris Hemsworth as the title character and Tom Hiddleston as his brother Loki. Thor is a very interesting case. I've already done commentaries for Winter Soldier and the two Avengers movies and Regardless of which is your preference, I'm not sure anyone would argue that the best movie was not among those three in terms of the Marvel Studios movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as they call it. But after those three, it's it's pretty up for grabs, honestly. Um, 
And a lot of people still say they love the first Iron Man, but if you watch it now after all these movies, I think this is the best solo movie other than Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I know hardcore camp fans would say Cap. You know, Iron Man is the most popular from money, box office standpoint, for sure. Robert Downey Jr. So he's always going to get the benefit of the doubt in terms of a tie. But this one just has so much heart. There's a lot of flaws to it. But this movie sold me on... But this movie sold me on Hemsworth. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be sold on. It has nothing to do with Hemsworth because... The only thing I'd seen him in before I saw this movie, and I did not see this in the theater, was his brief but amazing role as George Kirk, Jim Kirk's father, in the Star Trek reboot in 09. Just killed it in the opening 10 minutes, which really had to sell the whole movie, even though that was his, his only bit in it. Didn't make that connection till later. That character, actually in 10 minutes, ends up being more three-dimensional than Thor. But one of the many things I did not realize about Thor in terms of what the character and this movie, before seeing it, was that Thor is pretty two-dimensional at best in the comics. And so even way more than Iron Man and Cap, they are constantly struggling to find ways to make Thor be Thor, but move towards three-dimensionality. And, and I think it'll be fun to have sort of an ongoing discussion in this commentary about whether it's achieved... Certainly not ever the fault of Hemsworth. It's great that they start the movie with the the side characters, if you will. Uh, The the humans, the non-Asgardians. Because these guys have to be the audience (laughs) for all the ridiculousness that goes on with... uh, (laughs) With Asgard and the realms and the Bifrost here, everything. (laughs) so this trio here not only elevate this movie to very very good if not great in terms of drama and comedy look at that shot of natalie portman but um almost (laughs) single-handedly save thor the dark world which is you know one of the worst one or two of the marvel movies still very entertaining but those guys really trying to work the material, which was much weaker in that movie than this one. So, I don't know when I'll release this, but uh, I saw the first Iron Man in the theater, and as I mentioned before, I grew up reading Iron Man, but I never thought or visualize Iron Man as being not only a huge superstar as a movie character, but being the tentpole of an entire franchise through Robert Downey Jr. And I love that first movie, but it didn't hook me. Um, the second movie I really did not love like most people, and I just kind of got off board. I was in grad school, I was studying religion... And pathetically did not see the first Avengers movie in the theater. But I caught up. Once I saw the Avengers on Blu-ray in 2012 or whatever, I caught up on all the movies, including Cap 1 and this Thor movie. And when I saw the posters for this in in the theater a couple years before, I was, you know, I just couldn't take it seriously. But 
did well, and the second movie did really well in terms of box office, and, and people love Thor, people love Chris Hemsworth, but especially people love Loki, and that was the other missing piece. And the two of them are far more fleshed out from a humanizing standpoint, if you could use that word, than they are in the comic books, actually. So the CGI in this movie is is fine. Nothing blows you away. The fantasy battle in the beginning, you know, it looks, it's like, it. oh man, yeah, the flames from Odin's uh, staff there. It's very reminiscent of the opening battle of Fellowship of the Rings, the first Lord of the Rings movie, that, but instead of elves and humans fighting orcs, you have Asgardians fighting frost giants. The, the practical makeup on the frost giants is great. I think the only thing that doesn't work at times, although I've complained less about this than others, uh, in terms of CGI, is when they try and combine practical, you know, frost giants with, uh, with CGI ones, I guess. Not as seamless as Lord of the Rings. So Asgard looks amazing. And, you know, I've done a little Thor reading in the last couple of years. I still mostly know Thor through the movies. It's kind of how I want it. I like it better than the comics. And, you know, it's glorious. This looks like Mist. If anyone played Mist or the Mist games, Riven, mid-90s into the early 2000s, where they really revolutionized photorealistic uh, 2D CGI imagery, but it was so beautiful and well executed and rendered it look 3D. Um, but someone points out that we get this great opening shot, we see a lot of CGI Asgardians, and then we really only see a handful of characters and a tiny part of Asgard. And the rest, which, you know, didn't bother me and still doesn't, but could have been easily uh, solved by having Asgard more alive in the second one, which it is, but we've yet to see a fully realized civilization on the level of the various elf situ- on the various, we've yet to see a fully realized um, Asgardian civilization on the level of the elves' civilizations in Lord of the Rings. This is great. Yeah, this is the it's a Kirk Spock thing, right? You got the the kids trying to make it look like him, so the Thor kid really looks like Hemsworth. Something about his eyes and the shape of his face—it looks very much like the the Star Trek Hemsworth, actually. Yeah, and then they have to show that they love each other as boys. You know, Loki's more the thinker; Thor's more the doer. Always looking for a fight. It's typical origin story stuff, but with Kenneth Branagh, I still can't believe they got Kenneth Branagh to direct this movie. And if I had known that Kenneth Branagh, who's like the most famous, you know, hybrid uh, Shakespearean actor slash director that <laughs> it's been alive in 40 years. Oh, this is great with Thor. Never see the helmet again in all the, his movies. I think four so far. We've yet to see the helmet again. Um, he's so cocky. They have to sell this. If I had known that Kenneth Branagh was going to be directing this movie, uh, I, I might have given it a second look in the theater. But there's a lot of things I didn't know about. And I didn't know that the Marvel Universe was going to come together. It was so obvious they were doing solo movies to lead up to the team-up. But it's not that I didn't have faith. I was just busy. I didn't have enough time to think about it. And just said, ah, we'll see how it shakes out. But, you know, the solo first movies of the, th- the big three... Thor, Cap, and Iron Man, all very solid, but I think Thor's the best of the first ones. Look at that face. I mean, that, you know, 
Chris Ebsworth puts a lot of asses in the seats. Um, <laughs> of all genders and sexual orientations, even I am vulnerable to his charms. But the pairing of uh, Anthony Hopkins as Odin, you know, running a Shakespearean family here with Kenneth Branagh at the wheel, it's just, it's so glorious that they they embrace the cheesiness of Thor, but because of the filming and the writing and the acting and the directing, you don't want them to do it any other way. And that was another thing that took a while for me with the Marvel Universe, was to not accept the corniness, but understand that that was actually the better way to go when it was handled properly. Because that's how it is in the comics. And I think the reason the Disney Marvel Studios movies, these movies have done better, not always financially, but certainly narratively, in terms of execution on all levels, than the X-Men movies is... Because the X-Men comic books are very serious and very dour. And they're very loyal to that in the X-Men movies. But it's just not as much fun on screen. Marvel just has fun and they find ways to make it smart and interesting and different. But we had two Thor movies and two Avengers movies with Thor as a central character. Especially the second Avengers movie. And, oh, this is so good. Good. He's so impatient. His father has to see it. Impatient, bloodthirsty, power hungry. So, so we find out later, of course, that Loki was the one who reigns in this parade. With many reasons for doing so, as is often the case with Loki. So this cube in the Tesseract, it gets a little, uh, it gets a little difficult. There's been a lot of blue glowing orbs. Uh, here's the Destroyer, I believe it's called. It's so effective. It just vaporizes people. It's exactly what an Asgardian robot would do. Nothing artistic about it. I, I mean, the design is cool, but you know, it, it's very functionalist from an, an architecture standpoint. It's, you know, walking tower, beams of light. But everyone's waiting for the big third th Thor movie, Ragnarok, which both which both has to go more cosmic and, you know, is advertising itself just in its name as going more cosmic, but because of Thanos and the Infinity Stones and everything building, but also we just haven't had a, a Thor epic yet on the level of like Braveheart or something, which we really deserve, I think, but in the in the fantastical Thor setting. So it's all exposition here in the beginning. Right, Loki still has a voice on the council. See, this is the <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is the perfect time for Loki to start the manipulations because it, you know, it's very possible it's very possible that if this happened at any point, 
you know, before or after Thor becomes king, he might have the same response. But the fact that it interrupted his big day and then his angry, impatient response, his angry and impatient response results in his father basically taking kingship away. And that's a nice trick, bringing Loki from behind the pillar. You know, Loki sneaks up on you as a watcher. And, and the thing was, you know, I saw the Avengers before this, where he's the big bad guy. And while he, you know, still manages to come across as multidimensional, and the Avengers as the big baddie, you know, he's not as as multifaceted at, and complicated on the surface, at least, as he is here. So, you know, if I'm seeing Thor in the theater and don't know anything about Loki... Probably know he's still a bad guy, but it doesn't matter. Tom Hiddleston's performance is, is so brilliant because Loki does what the best liars do, which is believe their own lies. As, as George Cassandra says, it's not a lie if you believe it's true. Loki fakely tries to stop... Uh, Stop Thor. But anyways, so the big third movie, Ragnarok, it's crossing over with the Avengers and Guardians. They got Thanos, the Infinity Stones, the Gauntlet, the whole thing going on. And, uh, you know, but this first Thor movie is, is his best movie because of Earth and because of Natalie Portman and Stellan Skarsgård um, and Kat Dennings. You know? I mean, it's not that this early part gets tedious the more you watch it, because it's just pretty to look at. And she's great. <laughs> Lady Sif. Everyone seems to want him to end up with Sif instead of Natalie Portman. I think there's just a lot of Natalie Portman haters out there. And I will address that because while I love Natalie, I do not love her in everything and admit her her shortcomings and her flaws. Um, she may be a more versatile actor than Scarlet is. Yeah, the CGI is just so-so. This looks not even as good as Lord of the Rings. But but the bridge is fantastic, the Rainbow Bridge, which is based on the comics. But in the comics, just look at giant rainbow. This is way cooler. But um, you know, Sif is a great side character, and they they try and f force. Well, they sort of hint the romance not enough here, and then they kind of force it in the second movie a little bit. I'm not sure where that's going. There's no way he doesn't end up with Jane Foster. Uh oh, Idris Elba, Handel. <laughs> so, you know, Loki apparently gets shamed or embarrassed here. But it's all part of his plan. Make him seem, you know, too weak to really be behind a much larger conspiracy. So I think Heimdall disobeys the king twice in this movie, and maybe once in Dark World. Now, he does immediately report this to, uh, immediately reports it to Odin, right? So, what's his face? The big, uh, Gimli-esque warrior says to Loki, what the silver tongue turned to lead, and that's exactly what Loki wants them to think, but he's working them at a much deeper level. 
So, all right, so Heimdall agrees to this, but then tells Odin, uh, not really clear what his motivations are, but he's such a brilliant actor. So, and this is the other thing about Thor, was, you know, it's really not this sci-fi-y in the comics. I mean, it is a mix of sci-fi and fantasy, from the little I've read, but on screen, it's just such a cooler combination of the two. Just really works for me. Um, in a lot of ways, the sci-fi stuff looks cooler than the fantasy stuff. And it's hard to pull it apart. I mean, this room right here could be magic. You know, we're still not sure where the Asgardians' true power comes from. None do. Yeah, I mean, Idris Elba, his tiny cameo in, uh, in Avengers Age of Ultron is cooler than either of the Thor movies, just because he really gets to emote and be weird and crazy. Love this. And what's great is, yeah, you could have done a closed wormhole, but you can see them flying through space, which is way cooler. You know, while getting those colorful, uh, twisting wormhole effects. And uh, you know, Thor points it out later uh, when he, him and Natalie are sitting on the roof, stargazing together, and he says, you know, you think what we do is magic and, and what you do is science, but, you know, we're, where I come from, they're, they're one and the same, which is great. I love that concept. I'm really trying to develop a book right now that's a sci-fi book in a fantasy setting, basically. It's so hard to do. I don't know why I'm challenging myself to it. I guess I've just read so much of both, and I love when the rare combination works. I mean, that's what worked with Star Wars. You had spaceships and robots, but you also had sword fighting. And uh, with the Force, essentially a form of magic. But it's also the fantastical feel. It's not that this is just uh, putting Norse myths, you know, together with, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings mixed with, uh, um, you know, Robert Heinlein or something like that. Now he says to, uh, Heimdall says to Loki earlier there on the bridge, you're not dressed warm enough. I wonder if that's a hint towards Loki being a frost giant. He doesn't know that he's a frost giant yet, though, I don't think. So you've got about, you know, 20, 25 minutes to start with the movie of, of Thor cosmic fantasy action, and you have it at the end, and then you have the l longest act in the middle, which as is as it should be on Earth. What's this guy's name? Frost Giant King. I also uh, have grown to like Thor more after being a huge fan of the show Vikings the last few years on the History Channel. It's an awesome historical drama action set in uh, Scandinavian England and France in like the you know the ten nine or ten hundreds. But you know they they're often referring to Loki and Thor and Odin and the gods.
Yeah, I mean, the fight with the Ross Giants at the beginning of this movie is probably the best cosmic fighting that we see in any of the two Thor movies. Um, the good thing, f- you know, for Hemsworth is that... So, in the first Avengers, he's supposed to be a weird, you know, god that no one knows much about. That's, you know, a, a little flat character-wise, even though it can be funny and fun to watch. In Ultron, they really start making him part of the team... He's just getting a handle on their sense of humor. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't with with his own sensibilities. But with the Infinity Stones and the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh uh-oh, little princess. Um, So, you know, Guardians, next Thor movie with Thanos, Infinity Gems. Thor's actually going to be a bigger part, I think, of the final Avengers movies from a narrative um, cosmic standpoint um, than we've seen so far. I think, you know, I, I still have to rewatch Cap 1. It's been forever. I just love Cap so much in the Avengers movies and Winter Soldier. I know he's not fully developed in the first, and that's the point, but in some ways I think the Cap movie might end up being slightly more classic just because of how popular Captain America has become, how much of a symbol in real life he's become, and how you know it's a World War II piece that has nowhere near the amount of CGI and you know practical effects always... Uh, Oh, his hold up better. I just recorded my uh, uh, Star Wars original trilogy, my Star Wars original trilogy um, commentaries, and uh, you know, e- e- even the corny practical effects still look great for the most part because the, there's texture to them. It's tactile. All right, here's the big reveal. Now, I do not know if this happened in the comic people, so I apologize. I can't imagine the writers just got that out of nowhere, but, you know, (laughs) I'm not sure if there's anything in the actual uh, mythological literature to suggest such a thing. It's the wash move. Skewered him from off screen. Now Thor's pissed. Chucking the hammer. You know, like with the Hulk, (laughs) Thor at full strength, I mean, it just seems like he'd be completely unstoppable by any power on any planet for the most part other than Thanos. And so you got to pick your spots. Something that I actually missed in Age of Ultron commentary just because I had so much else going on was that you know, I talked about how the big three, Iron Man, Cap, and Thor, all take on Ultron at one point. But really, Thor does not take on Ultron. Thor is, you know, captured by Ultron, then we don't see him for a couple minutes, and then he's being strangled and is only saved by the Vision, who uses the hammer. Terribly well-balanced. Yeah, some great fantasy stuff here. I'm just watching. 
Oh, there's the lightning. Yeah, I mean, he can he can't really be killed. He's got a mean hammer. He can fly, and he's got you know seemingly endless lightning supply. Although I had speculated and choose to believe that he you know can just run out of endurance from all these things after a while, and at least needs a break to recharge. Oh, I forgot about that. He's running underneath the ice. That's a great idea. It's a Disney movie. It really works in the Disney genre. Another thing I just didn't it didn't connect. Even when everything, even when you know, not everything connects visually or otherwise. Okay, this guy looks just like a rancor. Yeah, it's a little generic. It's a thing. The fantasy stuff in both of the movies is a little generic. I mean, it looks cooler than a rancor. I guess as good as a Balrog. <laughs> That's great. Uh, right, so. <laughs> They almost lost that battle against all those little guys. And then you know, one of his buddies gets skewered and almost killed. And then he takes out the giant Rancor with a single hammer throw. His powers are ridiculous. His background is ridiculous. You can't relate to him like Cap or even Iron Man. In some ways, it's easier to relate to Iron Man. I mean, we're not as wealthy or funny or smart as he is, but he is... More in line with human failings than Cap. We want to relate to Cap. We want to be like Cap, if not Cap. See, you know, if these big monster armies that they fight, you're not really invested in them as bad guys other than just being bad guys. Um, you know, this isn't a long movie. They keep it really tight. It's, I think it's under two hours, even with credits. I might have even moved through this part uh, a little bit quicker. I think maybe they should have saved some of this for the end. I mean, they blew their wad from a from an effect standpoint in terms of the off Earth stuff in the beginning. You know, it's not really the point. It's the you know, it's the Empire Strikes Back uh, philosophy. It's, you start with big dark battle, doesn't go well, and then the main part of the movie is just drama and character interaction and dialogue with small little plot twists in the middle and then you have you know a really frenetic ending uh here it's you know trying to <laughs> kill slash save loki uh in empire of course in empire of course it's uh vader luke and then uh you know <laughs> trying to keep things relatively under control which he usually does so well right and so this is the last time Thor is just dislikable, or, or I should say completely unlikable. Um, and Hemsworth has to reach for it, and that's why you needed Anthony Hopkins to pull it out of him. And you needed someone like Kenneth Branagh to m make this really intense Shakespearean drama happen. So the fact that he just grunts at Loki to tell him to, to shut the hell up and move back it shows you how often he's, he's said it before. It's my interpretation. 
Right, he's arrogant and stupid. And the great thing about Thor is he remains arrogant and stupid, but way less stupid and way less arrogant, for sure, as time goes on. But I do like that as much as he matured in Ultron and is trying to relate to the people, he still was uncomfortable around them, still left at the end immediately. And uh, I'm not sure he'll ever fully relate to the to the Avengers. I, I think that's... Why in the comic he has some, you know, side character called Donald something or something. Uh, he he has a human avatar essentially who he can retreat into or he retreats into him. I haven't read enough Thor, but you know, they're forced to come up with a way to try and make him more Earthbound. You just can't. He's a god. Yeah, the 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 disarming and disarmoring and disrobing of Thor is awesome. And it's a brilliant uh, visual way to set up him landing on Earth, not with bizarre armor, but just looking like a homeless Ben. So, a lot of cliches in the first part that looks great. This looks great. Oh, man, yeah, the Bifrost is amazing. But, I, I, oh, here we go. One of the best all-time, you know... Uh, Connections between the first minute and the 30th minute by replaying it. I don't even know what that's called, but it works brilliantly here. We really, we, we wait a full half hour to get back here. I would have gotten here quicker, but they had to sell Loki and they had to build his arrogance quickly, but not too quickly. That's the thing. They spent 30 minutes building Thor's arrogance and it still felt rushed. So that, that was an impossible situation. This movie is an impossible situation, but these looks between them, I mean, Natalie Portman... You know, Nellie's not normally the top of my list just because there's other, you know, movie chicks I'm more attracted to and whose movies I'm more into. Uh, (laughs) Kat Dennings is amazing. I I guarantee I'll be laughing at Darcy's jokes. Kat Dennings is brilliant. She's been brilliant since she was a kid in 40-Year-Old Virgin. (laughs) Hospital, you guys. So the, the this is what's brilliant about the writing and, and everything is that we have the Avengers quippiness, but it's coming completely from the, those three, not Thor. <laughs> she tases Thor. We have to imagine Thor with his powers getting tased would probably just actually charge his lightning power. I never thought about that connection. Insult to injury. Not only is lightning power is gone, but he's getting taken down by Darcy's lightning powers. That's great. The meteorite of the hammer. Look at the way they film it. Camera's tilted. The 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 way they frame. Oh, this is great. Thor. <laughs> Natalie Portman is brilliant in this. This really restored me for Natalie Portman. People say, "Oh, Black Swan." Whatever. No, Natalie Portman in this movie, and really both, but especially this one, is. Uh, is really lovable and funny and three-dimensional and cute and I, here's what i realized some some women like scarlet you just you know they're tough to put in just like a flannel shirt and jeans like she'd still look amazing it's just not her look man natalie portman a flannel shirt and jeans being a nerdy science geek with her some awkward smile i i, I love natalie in this i really do <laughs> Whenever he says he's mighty, something goes wrong. Um, 
So, you know, I think there's almost a direct line in some ways from this movie to the second Avengers movie, even though it's skipping over the first Avengers movie where he was a central character with not a lot of screen time and the second movie, which just sort of ran in circles. I mean, look, what do we have in Ultra? We got the hammer competition. What do we got here? Hammer competition. I'm sure we didn't would have come up with hammer competition without this, but just Whedon, I, I guarantee you people, I don't know him personally, we went to the same school, I know people worked with him, but I guarantee Joss Whedon likes this movie. It's just his sense of humor, at least in the middle part. I don't know if he loves the the high medieval Shakespeare stuff being in and in. Um, probably does just because it's, uh, it's just well executed, so... So this is a piece of info I should know, which is, is this an actual town, or is it as you know cardboard as it looks, and they just built it? This is on a set, obviously, as, as it should be. So, <laughs> Selvig, played by, I believe his name is Stellan Skarsgård. His son is also famous. He's a Skarsgård. So Skarsgård here, he comes out of nowhere to just steal, you know, every part of the Thor in Enter the Movies 99. So he gets mind-controlled between now and the second Thor movie by Loki in the Avengers. In the second Thor movie, he's still recovering from it, and he's, you know, running around in his underwear by Stonehenge talking about the end of the world. Um, it's so good. And Einstein Rosenbridge. This is the other thing. This movie really took the science part of it seriously, and the science fiction nerd in me wanted that to go further in the second. But they really screwed up because he said, okay, we need as much or more Natalie, which was the right call. But instead of going the science route, which would have been much more interesting and made her look much less like a damsel in distress, they make her like a damsel in distress who just happens to get physically involved with the ether. <laughs> now, apparently, she's going to win a Nobel Prize because of that discovery, but, you know, Thor has to take her off Earth and heal her and save her. It's just, you know... Natalie Portman went to Harvard, people. And not only that, I happen to know she's a good student involved in lots of academic stuff there. Um, and, I, you know, maybe if you just hear her talk and don't know anything about her... You wouldn't buy that she'd be a science nerd, but the, these lines were not hard for her t to deliver. Oh, this is great. <laughs> That's a top five Marvel moment for me. I mean, Avengers is so good, but Thor getting hit for the second time by the, by the car is just too much to bear. Oh, my God. You know, they make it rednecks, of course. I mean, they're in New Mexico. That's the whole point. That's why it works. They probably did film in New Mexico. Somewhere in the southwest, Arizona. And this is great. And this, and this is totally like, you know, uh, <laughs> Iron Man trying to pick up the hammer with the, with the Iron Man hand. Oh, there's Stanley with his cameo. Stanley, up there with Gene Roddenberry, Isaac Asimov, some of the greatest minds in the last 50 years in the in science fiction entertainment media. Here we go, Agent Coulson, oh, he's great. So 
So you have to, you know, Coulson's hilarity later on in this is sold well because they, they make him look just like a company man in the beginning. There we go. He's got... So they're... Okay, so the ongoing joke with Thor that everyone knows about, including this, and especially the actors, is that Thor is hot. Chris Hemsworth's hot. And everyone knows it, men and women. And so instead of dance around it, do what they do here and just we did and just constantly make fun of the fact that he's gorgeous. Uh, Donald Blake, that's the name of the guy in the comics. He has his alter ego on Earth. Yes, I nailed it. Oh, man. If you're out there and you're a Thor person, this is new research for me. I'm very proud of myself about that. <laughs> this mortal form has grown weak. So, you know, all three of these people are the audience trying to figure out what the hell's going on with this guy. But Kat Dennings is, you know, she's the hilarious one-line cracker, but she's also the, you know, the most perceptive in some ways. Um, you know, Natalie just falls for him. Uh, Skarsgård, as Dr. Selvig, is suspicious of him. Dennings is like, yeah, he's hot. He seems harmless. So this is another thing that's big in the comics, the Warriors, Lady Sif and the Warriors 3. Um, initially, I was offended that they weren't just the Warriors 4 and you can't have one woman warrior. But the thing that is called Lady Sif and the Warriors 3 actually puts her in charge. So I'm down. She's a badass. I totally think she's sexy, too. I understand. Okay, so this is a direct response. I won't name them because I love them. But I listened to some some uh, n- pretty well-listened-to nerd podcasts, I think, um, who've been around for a while, who actually really helped me get, get fully into the Marvel Universe. Uh, after I saw Winter Soldier in the theater um, a year and a half ago in spring of 2014, I was so blown away. I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm totally in on these characters now. Went back, saw the movies, started listening to nerd podcasts. Now I'm doing a nerd podcast. So these guys are awesome. But, you know, some nerds uh, just don't, don't like Natalie Portman because of the Star Wars prequels. And I'm just, this is one of those moments when, I'm cool that you guys are anonymous, but this is one of those moments where I wish I could just do an instantaneous poll of how many people here... <laughs> you know, A, found Natalie Portman's performance terrible in the Star Wars prequels, but more importantly, B, do they care, and does that translate to their viewing of the movie? I've always liked her despite that. But this this is my favorite Natalie Portman movie. It's not the best, it's you not know, the most compelling. I have not seen Black Swan, even though I love her and Aronofsky, uh, for a number of reasons I've not seen it. Eventually, well... I believe that she's Oscar-worthy. I see the potential in her. But to, to circle back, Natalie Portman, dressed like a you know, nerdy but cute science chick, is just irresistible. But, oh yeah, Loki with the frost giant. They never bring this back, by the way. In the, in the first Avengers, they... You know, Loki says, I assume, you know, our parents, quote-unquote, our parents told you about my you know, bizarre lineage or whatever. Meaning he's not a true brother of Thor, son of Odin. But that's something for the fans. You don't want to overuse it. I think he's so ashamed of it, too. I mean, he uses it here for to manipulate Odin, but in general, I, I don't think he wants to deal with it. Not sure how a frost giant child becomes a god. Um, although, uh, even though it makes no sense... Okay, so, 
But the second Thor movie, like the second Star Trek reboot movie, Into Darkness, there's a couple things that make it worth rewatching occasionally, despite its many flaws. One of them is is Hiddleston here and Hemsworth cracking jokes, even though only about seventy percent hit decently well. But it's you know those seventy percent are worth it. But Renee Russo, who gets shafted in both movies a little bit, she's such a great actress. She still looks so fantastic. I mean, she must be like sixty, the most gorgeous sixty-year-old woman in the world. Um, she does have a small but important part in the second movie, especially in regards to relation to Loki. And we find that he, he learned some of his trick, trickery, his spells and his teleportation stuff from, um, from his mom, his adoptive mom. Th- this is arguably the best scene in the movie. I mean, dramatically it, it's the best scene in the movie. These are two best actors in the movie. This is two of their best performances ever. I mean, you look at it, Hiddleston never gets to be like this in, in Avengers as Loki. He has to be both occasionally likable in this movie, but also, you know, he's he's evil in a traditional sense in Avengers. Here, he's just extremely dark and scary. And the way the actors played it. Yeah, this was important. Okay, because this is the first time Loki's not lying. And the way we know Loki's not lying is because only we're watching him. His father's passed out or dead, and no one's in the room. And he looks genuinely scared and upset. Did he mean to do it? Is he truly sorry for it? I don't know, but Hilston's brilliant. <laughs> See, if, if you don't love Hemsworth at this point... Here we go. <laughs> This could go so wrong, but he is so in it. He, you know, she just... And and this is the thing about Natalie Portman in this movie as Jane Foster. This is totally Luke Leia stuff going on. They're both sexually attracted to each other immediately. Like, not Luke Leia, sorry. Like Han and Leia. They're fighting, but they're really flirting. Yeah, Dennings knows it. (laughs) Selvig, not so sure. Uh, good. And that's the thing. You know, we see Thor on Earth in the Avengers movies, but we don't see him in a human context. And this is actually, what's crazy is that this is his first time on Earth, but without his powers, he actually starts to feel comfortable around these people. Once he becomes Thor again, even though he's fighting with the Avengers and he loves those guys and he loves people, you know, as a principle in general, he wants to save people, especially Jane and all these people. But um, but Thor never really looks comfortable around people, and doesn't help that he, not only is his costume weird, but even when he's dressed like in lounge gear, he's so sexy. Uh, you know, I mean, the, 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 and this is what's great. You know, I always talk about I'm a great admirer of beauty people, but you know, being heterosexual, while I appreciate, you know great-looking men, I just end up talking about women more. I also just love highlighting great women actors out there, like Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson and Zoe Saldana and Carrie Fisher and Linda Hamilton. Meow, meow. <laughs> meow, near, meow, meow. Um. Yeah, yeah, Selvig already knows what's going on. He's delusional. Natalie Portman's claiming it's about the crater, but if if he was just some bum, 
Uh, but yeah, right. So yeah, he had to be Scar's card. He had to be someone Scandinavian who could you know feasibly pull off the connection that when he makes the connection, knowing those stories from his childhood, from Scandinavian background so well, that he starts to realize that Thor may not be full of shit. <laughs> Look at Natalie. They have... Thank you. Oh, God, she's so good. Here's the thing. She's so comfortable around Chris Hemsworth. It's obvious. The attraction is obvious. You know, they're both professionals. Natalie, I think, has been settled down for a while. I doubt they hooked up, but you could totally see it, and how could you blame either of them? Look at their attraction. It's not just that they're both gorgeous. It's that, you know, they're so attracted to each other. Look at her. She could be looking at nothing, but, uh, yeah, it, he, she's checking out his butt. Um, so I'm with Natalie in this one. That's what's great, you know? Even though she's beautiful, in, in reality, she's the one I'm, you know. But... <laughs> But just because of Hemsworth's ridiculous charisma and the way she sells the lust for him, and as has been pointed out also by my nerds online who I love, you know, what makes this mm, uh, love story, quote-unquote, work is that it's not a love story. It's a lust story. Yes, there's a little fall in love going on, but they just really want to bone. But they do have shared interests, and that's a dangerous combination. Radio Shack. Yeah, this is this is by far the least likable that Coulson is ever. And it's only because it's serving a plot point. It's just, it's too bad because the person who knew how to write for Coulson the most is not anyone in the Iron Man or the Thor movies. It's not the writers on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's Joss Whedon. And Joss kills him. And not only does Joss kill him in the first Avengers movie, he does it in the middle of the movie, in the exact right point, and built him up the entire movie so that everyone loves him and is heartbroken that he's dead and comes together as Avengers. Right, the backups of the backups. But this is great, the three of them. You totally buy their chemistry. They must have had such a blast. And that's why, you know, Darcy and Selvig with their limited roles in the second movie were still able to kill it when they had time on screen because they just knew what the deal was. You know, when Darcy sees Thor for the first time in the second one, he's like, hey, dude, how's space? <laughs> and Thor just goes, space is good. Natalie does not overact in this movie at all. And when you see, look, she was very young, comparatively, when she played Queen Amidala in uh, the Star Wars prequels. And honestly, there was so much more wrong with that movie. I'm not going to sit here and defend her, okay? But she was young. Luke is a terrible director. The scripts were terrible. The CGI looked terrible. They had no practical sets. Hayden Christensen sucked. You know, I, I mean, it was just uninspiring all around. To put it on Natalie Portman, to me, is really unfair. But I sympathize with it because, you know, there are some actors and actresses that even in that role would find something interesting to do, and she just couldn't. She needs more instruction. But when you have great writers, and you have <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, who, you know, I think she was not happy that he did not return. Um... I could be wrong about that. I know she was unhappy about some directorial change. 
I don't think her and Alan Lee got along. Not Alan Lee, sorry, Alan Taylor. That's just a guess. But yeah, I mean, I have nothing against any of these actors. Sif really does a lot with nothing. Um, you know, other than Loki. It's all just support for Loki, but in this movie, I do want to just get back to Earth. I do. That's my favorite part of the movie. I love everything on Earth in this movie. <laughs> the, the, that force of is just unbeatable. I mean, but, you know, here's the thing. So Thor thought what he was fighting for was himself and his kingdom. But his father is trying to teach him humility. His father is trying to teach him intelligence or just, you know, increased perceptiveness, perceptivity, perspicuity, perhaps. That's a great shot of Seth. I think that's the shot right there, right here. That, that's, the, that's the Hollywood shot where you go, okay, this, this woman could actually hold a major role. And they didn't give it to her in this, and they didn't in this, and they did not in the second. They've inserted her occasionally in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a, just like a fun thing to watch, and she's great. Hopefully she'll play a bigger role. Um, there's got to be a way to continue her, you know, friendly but somewhat complicated vibe with Thor and expand on that while still having Thor end up with Jane Foster. Or else you got to kill Jane Foster. I mean, you can't have him end up with Seth and, and not Foster. It's impossible. And his old stories. So, um... Yeah, yeah. I think the 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 far off exterior shot of the town they might have built that, but then when they're actually in the town, this is this is location somewhere, obviously. <laughs> What's so horse from the pet shop? Oh man! <laughs> right, daredevil stuff. Many times. And that's the thing. He, yeah, so, right. So his dad's trying to teach him not to be arrogant and stupid. But it always comes back to what are we fighting for? And it happens when he's fighting for them. Not for even his own people. These little humans. Her bravery throughout this movie impresses him so greatly. You know, because while his powers are gone, although he doesn't fully realize it yet here, he thinks he's about to get his powers back. He's fully aware that, you know, in normal Thor mode, these people are puny. Or tiny, as he says. <laughs> Petty and tiny. Still cocky, though. But... It, <laughs> You know, again, with this relationship, this has got to be the best relationship in any Marvel movie. I do not even know it's close. I think Emily, Emily Van Camp, I know this is coming out of nowhere. Maybe there's dispute about Agent 13. I, I really like Emily Van Camp. I don't know if she's going to work looking like a secret agent, but I totally buy her as a Cap love interest. They have amazing chemistry. I just don't know if they're going to have enough time in Civil War to do it. I really hope that we need at least a good 20, 30 minutes of just straight drama in Civil War. It cannot be all action. That's what made Winter Soldier great. They're going to be great. But this is the best like single movie chemistry ever. And arguably, 
you know, the, in terms of not romantic, the best on uh, on screen chemistry in any of the Marvel movies in a single movie is, or over multiple movies, I guess, would be Loki and Thor. Yeah, you know, he doesn't even. I I forgot. It, it's not until Dark World, the second Thor movie, which is the third that they're in together, that they really spend a lot of time. I mean, here they spend time in the beginning and at the very end. They get the little vision coming up with with Loki, um, but yeah, and then in Avengers they have brief interactions. It's interesting. It's interesting that the actors are that good. They sell it. They sell the the, the competitive, but um, you know, brotherly love. Got some shield action going. All right, so we're about to witness the introduction of Jeremy Renner, aka. Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Yeah, that's that's an interesting coincidence. He thinks it's him. Maybe it is him. The hammer can sense his presence, but it's not coming down. But it does start raining. I guess it's just, I guess it's, uh, I'm going to fly out. Right, so, you know, Back to the relationship. Another great aspect of the relationship. They're so well. <laughs> Not yet thrown out of the window by the Winter Soldier. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, you'd think that Natalie Portman's falling in love with Chris Hemsworth because he's hot and he's cocky and he's sexy. And that's definitely true. However... He's still, you know, just as good looking after being humbled coming up here. But he's not cocky and he's not confident. But he is increasingly respectful towards her and um, just impressed by her and her heroism. And she falls in love with that, ultimately. Like, if she does fall in love, it's that second part where it does get more complex and she's like oh my god this guy cares about me he's a good guy you know and she hints he hasn't been with good guys we see it she's a horrible dater in the second movie which was one of the best par- parts of that movie that's the thing dark world has enough you know small moments of of goodness especially with humor that it's worth that <laughs> i did exactly what she told me not to do i'm sorry <laughs> Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah, Natalie Portman makes me, makes me laugh in this movie. This is a great all-time scene. Um, And, and even if you've, you're seeing this in the theater or seeing it for the first time and don't know anything about Thor, you kind of know where this is going. I mean, you just have to look at your watch and you're going, okay, we're not even halfway through. He's not getting his his hammer back. Right, so, okay, we'll jump into comparative powers here. So, he's still very strong, but is it just because he's big and muscular? Like, you know, is there any enhancement going on? That's classic. Sniper rifle? Uh, Nope, bow and arrow. So, this is where they try and make Hawkeye a righty, even though Jeremy Renner is a lefty. He doesn't actually have to fire, and so that's why it works. Joss Whedon probably figured out in two seconds that he was a lefty. He said, all right, everyone, we're putting the cameras on the other side. He also has great fighting skills. I, I, you know, he 
his powers, you know, his greatest powers are gone. The lightning and the flying and the hammer and everything, but yeah, he's still an Asgardian. His father can't completely make him human. That, that would make no sense. You'd think his dad could kill him before making him human. If, yeah, I mean, you know, Renner, Renner's so precise. I have to rewatch the Herlocker to see if he ever holds guns. I think he does. I can't remember which way he shoots. I mean, he's usually the one defusing or trying to defuse the bomb. Or trying to get to the bomb to defuse it. Uh, this is the wrestle egg fight here. You know, plus he has ridiculous confidence. But yeah, this, this does show us that most of his powers are gone. I don't know why they have Hawkeye in that thing. He's shaking around. I guess, you know, we find out that Hawkeye... Actually, in Age of Ultron, he, he looks a lot more when he shoots, but at the end of the first Avengers, he's always looking the opposite way of where he's firing, and he hits right on target, so... Oh, yeah, here we go. I think I think the, the one of the, the orc-on-orc fight in Return of the King and in uh, Kaer Thungol. Or, or is it Minas Morgul? <laughs> the orcs start brawling one of them does the jump kick thing yep they just sold Hawkeye right there I'm starting to root for this guy boom that's all you need to know at the time you're going okay who's this guy looking back I'm in on Renner we had to wait four years from here basically for Renner to fully become Hawkeye but it was worth it god damn it So does the music stop or does it switch? Here we go. Switch. Switch. Goes minor from major. Unresolved notes. Very understated with the score. I love that. Because most of us saw that coming, but between Hemsworth's performance and the understated music, and this is something I don't talk about enough, especially having been formerly a music professional and still involved in music, I don't talk enough about the music in these movies, but you don't know what the edit's going to look like. I mean, you really can't score the movie until the final edit is almost completely done. Or at least, like, the bulk of some of the scenes, and then you start working on them, you know? I mean, those little beats there where the notes change, that has to hit exactly when he pulls the hammer, and it doesn't move. And then move to this point. Right, and now we just have a low, uh, very low droning uh, string. Oh, but the, 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 uh, the coronation music briefly comes back. All is not lost. <laughs> and there you have it, people. A little musical storytelling for you. That's probably why I don't talk about it more, because I would just go on and on all day about what every chord change is signaling. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll follow that away for now. Oh, this is great. You just see Heimdall's one eye and the shot from the back, and that's all you need. He's He's sad. 
Mi a mi a... Yeah, magic's a science we don't understand. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke. That's the thing. I, 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 I will put money that Natalie Portman has read 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. If, did we miss the part where where they said, you know... Says, you know, it's our only, she was the only applicant to be an intern, a science major. And <laughs> think says political science. <sighs> That's hurtful. Right, we get sort of the dark Coulson uh, sarcasm here, which we do get. You know, th here's the thing. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I, I go back and forth on, but he's fabulous and and they do craft a story arc so that he can be darker at times whether he's forced to be darker or there's something operating inside of him he's not the happy-go-lucky guy that gets killed in the avengers always or even often i think this is actually his natural state i think he was just so geeked by having captain america on his team that he just you know lost all sense of uh of caution as it applies to his optimism. Oh, this is a great trick here. So, is he digging the Bifrost? I can't remember. Can he just project himself down? That's so cool. So, one of the cool things about the two Thor movies, which they mostly use to good effect and don't waste is that Loki continues to find multiple ways off of Asgard and into other realms without having to use their giant wormhole blaster the the uh the Bifrost right he, he's lying to Thor but if you're seeing the movie the first time you might say oh you know we haven't been told definitively that he's not dead. Continues to manipulate Thor. Thor never stops falling for, for Loki's tricks. And that's, it's like that in the comics, from, even from what I've read. It's just, it's way more subtle, the reasons why, in the movie, with, with their performances. Right, mother forbidding his return. That seems totally impossible. Th this is where Thor is being a little dumb and taken by his brother's, you know, forked tongue. Right, but this is, this is the moment of humility right here. Right, he finally takes responsibility. It's not anybody else's fault. It's his fault. And, uh, you know, Loki actually doesn't achieve what he means to achieve. He just wants his brother to forget about it so he doesn't try and come back by lying and saying, you know, father's dead, mother doesn't want you back. But it makes Thor worthy again. And for Loki not to see that, you would think maybe Loki would want to keep him uh, mixed up morally. But he just centered Thor in a way he'd never been before. And his humility with the other three... Um, on his t Earth team, 
uh, you know, it is very, very touching to, and to watch, as subtle as it is. Uh, I always forget that Loki, this is great. He's in the middle of all these people. We don't need any tricks to show us that they can't see him. He really wants the hammer. So, his brother's really the only one he's afraid of. I mean, eventually he gets rid of the Hulk because the Hulk smashes him to bits. Um, but before that point, even with Iron Man and the rest of the Avengers, you know, there's the scene where, <laughs> the classic scene right before the final battle of the first Avengers where, you know, Loki goes, I have an army, and, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. just says, we have a Hulk. Um, and... You know, Tony's naming all the people he pissed off. Capped by Phil, this guy. And he's like, you know, a couple of Master of Assassins, the, your brother, the demigod. And, and that moment when he says, your brother, demigod, is the only un- person on that list. And Loki loses it for a second. He looks away and that allows Iron Man to put on the bracelet. That allows Jarvis to launch the new Iron Man suit and save his life when he gets thrown out the window. Little things like that, you know. He is always jealous and worried about his brother, no matter no matter his manipulations. Yeah, this is such a horrible lie, and, and as incompetent as Shield in general has seemed in this, in terms of Thor, um, <laughs> you know, I, I I saw that misdirect coming a mile away. I was like, follow him, which is the smart thing to do. This, this guy's a lunatic, or he's really got something going. If he's a lunatic, they can always recapture him. Hopefully he doesn't kill people. But, um, yep. It's his first act of kindness. Um, that, that effectively should get him laid. They don't have time to have sex here. I don't think they do in a second. But I think that's all. all you know, coming back to her, apologizing, giving her the book, and being all humbled. Humbled Thor. It's, that's the thing. It's like Cap. You know, it's like... God, do they make humility sexy. I mean, Thor is never nearly as humble as Cap, but when, but when he does start to be, you know, m- more responsible for his actions, he just becomes appealing all, more appealing all around as a character. Right, they're having a beer. I don't think he said the line yet. I'm going to tear the volume up a little bit. This whole part's great. Right, and this is Selvig starting to become an advisor towards him, which, you know, we, we certainly see carries, you know, even to Age of Ultron. Selvig's definitely working at the new Avengers facility as well, which is great. Oh, right, and he's friends with her father. He's a good man. Never listened. So, right, this is the sort of confession... You know, and it has to be Selvig. He's the oldest. He's the wisest. You know, they're not related by blood, but they are by uh, culture in a weird way. I mean, even though they're his gods or his ancestors' gods. I mean her no harm. Good. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And this is great. Yeah. And Thor accepts it. You have to have that moment. It's like Han Solo when he thinks Leia's in love with Luke. I won't get in the way. Thor's like, yeah, okay. Thor's probably already knows where this is going. He's going to be able to out this guy like Legolas, Ken, Gimli. <laughs> they hold on the beer, too. They hold on the beer. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> this is a great cut coming up. <laughs> oh, I thought it went straight to them. Coming back drunk. Yeah, it gives us time to marinate them, you know, getting wasted right now together in the background. So, in, uh, so between Guardians of the Galaxy, the end of 2014, and Age of Ultron, the beginning of 2015, the Infinity Gem story is in full blossom. I won't spend too much time on that, but the big evil cosmic villain Thanos from the comics is going to be the big evil cosmic villain in the final series of movies in this phase of Marvel, including the final Avengers movies. He gets a gauntlet. They have six gems. Each gem represents one of the um, primal powers of the universe coming from the singularity of the Big Bang. If he gets them on the glove, he becomes God, basically. And we've seen four of them. They're scattered a bit at this point, to say the least. But right now in 2011, with Thor, I don't know if it came out before Cap. We do we learn about the, the Cosmic Cube, which is the Tesseract, in Cap 1. We then learn about Loki's scepter in Avengers 2. One, but don't learn that that's housing the Mind Gem, another Infinity Stone, in uh, uh, the second Avengers movie. So that's two. In the second Thor movie in 2013, we had the Ether, which almost killed uh, Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman. That's the third. And the fourth was in Guardians of the Galaxy, by far the best and the coolest, uh, the Power Gem, where we first get to see Thanos and see the connection between the cosmic in the Marvel, um, or, or the Earth-based Marvel, I should say. So, you know, Thor has visions uh, during Age of Ultron about the Infinity Gems and why they need the vision. The vision's going to have the mind gem in his forehead, the flying android guy, the benevolent AI, a great character. And I, I comment during that commentary that Thor seemed to know more about the Infinity Gems than I was expecting. Even though they do come in in contact with them numerous times, um, but uh, you know you got to wonder where everything is right now. I mean, Loki's up there is with Thanos, I guess. The ether is just in the ether. We don't know what the other two are. Um, Peter Quill has yet to find the orb with the power gem. <laughs> yeah, he's. She, oh. <laughs> And it's great how he plays it. He's a little drunk, but he could just be playing drunk because he's happy. He's finally found people he likes, and he's coming to terms. <laughs> we, we say we drank, we fought. He did his ancestors proud. He don't think we're god of thunder. He's sauced, as they say. Oh man, Selvig is great, and he channels the drunkenness because he's he, he's always losing his mind in various ways in the movie. And he channels the a little bit of uh, extreme lack of sobriety. Oh, this is so great! I, this is where I fall in love with her. I mean, look, she, look, she's so nervous. She's awkward. She's real. <laughs> she she could just leave it there, but she doesn't. She's apologizing. God, look at her. She's just so. 
She's, yeah. Thing is, if if you ever get around a pretty girl, you know, or any person, any person that you find attractive or cool or whatever, and they start acting like that in front of you, it's like you know that they like you, but you don't know what to do because you don't want to be too aggressive, but you don't want to do nothing. They do the right thing, go to the roof, get some air. Always my move. Let's go outside, get away from the noise. See if the person's for real. This is it. This is their first real conversation. <laughs> All right, just because does Thor know that it's called a car? I mean, who cares? I speculate that he's been to Earth before, but who knows? All right, there it is. That should get him laid. Natalie's just not, you know, an A-class, A-plus actress, but she's kind of playing herself here, which is why it works great and why I love it. I mean, if Zoe Saldana is playing her perky, sweet, funny, sassy self in, in Star Trek movies as a horror, this, to me, feels like a natural portrayal of Natalie Portman by Natalie Portman. Ner nerdy, slightly awkward, but beautiful Harvard chick. Look at her eyes. And the corny lineup here, it doesn't bother me where she says, tell me more. I mean, it's what, it's what I would say, too. I'd be like, tell me more. And look at her, just look at her face, though. That's the thing. You can deli it's, you know, like I talk about this with, with uh, Carrie Fisher in the Star Wars movies. You can just sell corny lines in these epic movies by, by how you play with your face and your voice. I'd be like, dude, you're drawing in my book. What the fuck? Okay, so. <laughs> Thor is cosmic in the sense of, you know, being not from Earth and someone who can commun uh, who can transport <laughs> and someone who can transport between worlds and communicate between worlds and, you know, do cosmic things. But in his... In his experience, there's nine realms, which works with the mythology, but does not work with connecting them to the Guardians of the Galaxy slash Thanos mythology. Now, when when Thor is you know telling the Avengers in the first Avengers what Loki's plan is, uh, the Chitauri, and he says something like, "They're coming from uh, a you know a realm not even known to us or something." So. There's a few possibilities. One, they don't know anything outside the Nine Realms. Two, they do know some places outside the Nine Realms. They just don't care about them or don't know much about them. Or three, they do know about all of the other realms or that there are many, many other realms and parts of the universe. So these guys, spending so much time with these guys and having them be cartoonish it is very much a nod to the comics. I think they felt like between the really dark Shakespearean stuff and the, you know, quippy, Earth-based stuff, they, they needed to show some loyalty. We must find Thor. Um, you know, these guys look straight from the pages of the book. Right, I'm down. It goes against the king a second time. I wonder if the first time with Loki, the king knew they were going and let them go and went to see what would happen. I don't. I never could figure that out. 
That's the thing. The epic part of the Thor movies makes zero sense. It never adds up. Maybe it's not supposed to. Who cares? But the Earth-based stuff is totally logical. It's exactly how those people would act in that situation. It's very naturalistic, actually. I, I think the, you know, I, I, Whedon's movies are funnier, but the, the comedy in this movie is the most relatable. It feels the most naturalistic, the most real. And, you know, that comes from the actors. Comes from Natalie Portman. Comes from Chris Hemsworth. Comes with Stellan Skarsgård. And it comes with Kat Denning. So I hope that's some more funny lines. <laughs> so this was important because the Cosmic Cube and, and Cap, you know, there's it's called the Cosmic Cube. They're starting to be aware that there's stuff going on off of Earth. This is many years later after World War II. This is the first major extraterrestrial event, I believe. Um since you know world war ii and then uh, <laughs> scars guard <laughs> love dr selvig he, he's playing hungover so well thank you there's Molly. yeah cut denning thank you like why are you still here you're supposed to be gone i know why you're here <sighs> yeah cat denning is never jealous of course as long as he gets to comment about how hot how hot he is I love that design. I know there's the fleur de lis or whatever the hell that's called. It looks great. So the Destroyer looks completely from like a Star Trek episode in the 60s. And this, the Renaissance Fair, this is great. I love this. You had to have this happen at some point in this movie or any Thor movie because Thor was going to be popping in and out of Earth looking ridiculous. And you just had to see what it would look like with everybody else. <laughs> the shield guys are eating fast food on a roof <laughs> yeah it, it, it's not so surprising that that shield was taken over by hydra there's some incompetence i think that's part of the point of agents of shield is that colson's gonna try and do it right with actually skilled people not a bunch of slackers Lady Sif and the Warriors 3. She's the leader. Uh, you know, I just don't think Sif and Thor make a good couple. It's nothing to do with the actors. They have, they have great platonic chemistry. They really feel like brother and sister. It almost immediately feel like brother and sister. Just play that angle. That's what I think they're going to end up doing is the Luke Leia thing. Not that they're actually brother and sister, but channeling that mild romantic tension into just, you know, coming to terms with the fact that that's their relationship. And that's what their relationship should be. You know, him and Foster make so much sense together. I just... You know, I, I don't care if it's a comic book reasons or you just don't like one actor or, or actress or the other. It's Jane Foster is here to stay. She better be. She's the most three-dimensional of all the Marvel uh, girlfriends, I think. I think Emily Van Camp could definitely get there. We'll see how that goes. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Civil War is basically... You know, Avengers 3, in terms of how much action and how big the cast is. And then the final two Avengers movies are going to have so much to do. So, I, I would love to see 
a, a final fourth cap solo movie a few years down the road where it is just him and her basically like he even his last mission then they disappear together but build up their relationship you know, they introduced Cap's girlfriend relatively late in the game. I mean, it's the middle of the Marvel phases, but there's so much else going on now. So, you know, I guess I just... Emily Van Camp, when she's pretending to be nurse named Kate at the beginning of Winter Soldier, really sells her attractiveness. Not physical attractiveness, only just, you know... She's she's just so sweet, and she's, she's nice. Like, Natalie's a little awkward. She's cute. It's like Girl Next Door. That's the thing. Natalie feels so Girl Next Door in this movie. I never thought that would be possible. But she nails it, which makes me think that's how she really is. No, it's like Scarlet. I always say it never really comes off like a bitch, except in movies where it's, she's explicitly supposed to. But now I missed the Coulson line where it says, Excuse me, sir. <laughs> You've unregistered. Yeah, this looks so old school. You've unregistered weaponry or something. I'm missing the Colson stuff. Sorry, people. I love them. This movie just goes by too fast. I mean, we're an hour and 22 in, and it says there's 32 minutes to go, but there's always 10 minutes of credits. Somehow they they made this movie an hour and 40 minutes. And I get why they did it, because they were nervous. They weren't able to keep people in the seats. Kat Dennings doing her like middle school fire drill thing um but in retrospect they should have done a lot more on earth and then they should have had a lot more at the end in Asgard but you know I'm really gonna criticize good movies especially for being too short right this is where we see uh, Sif get to kick ass but the fact that she's, you know, the second best warrior after Thor doesn't help her case for being a girlfriend. That's just not how it works, people. You know, actors marry each other, but it rarely works out. The marriages that work in Hollywood are people who are married to people that aren't in Hollywood or who are at least not actors, actresses. Here we go. Great shot. Sif coming out of nowhere. See, this is great because she gets to be incredibly badass and heroic but not kill it. <laughs> the, yeah, the design on this Destroyer's actual body is great. I, I love this this villain. He has no personality, you know, from a verbal standpoint, but the design, oh, that looks so cool. It's like the Winter Soldier's arm, but there's it's way more dynamic, obviously, and there's fire going everywhere. Uh-oh. <sighs> Shooting CGI Sif all over the place. Yeah, it just doesn't, it's, you know, it's just not there yet. Ultron's the first. I, I really, I mean, Captain America was, was, was flawless in terms of effects, but it just didn't have that much CGI. In terms of, you know, these full-on big CGI battles that happen around civilians and towns and making it all connect. That's a great shot. Yeah, that's the thing, Kenneth Branagh, he, he, he shoots like a Shakespeare play, but when it comes to big action moments, he knows how to be, how to be epic. He's done enough. Different stuff, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, Thor. This is so brother-sister. Like, why not just embrace it? I think that's what they're going for. I think part of it is, uh, you know... Um, Thor's mom loves Sif, you know, as 
and that makes sense. It'd be the kind of girl, and I think he even suggested to her when when he's dwelling on Jane Foster and the Bifrost is destroyed in the second movie and he's going to see Jane again. His mother says, like, look around you kind of thing. But... So I'm not sure what Thor thinks is going to happen here. Right? It, it, <laughs> he tells them to run away. They run 20 feet and he goes, wait. You know, people have said that she, like, sell, not oversells, but, you know, like, Natalie's attraction to, to Hemsworth is somehow not totally, um, you know, replicated by him. Yeah, the kick into the car, it just doesn't connect. But I, I I think it's just more subtle. Uh, I totally buy that. He like, in fact, I think he immediately likes her even before. It's like a millisecond because she starts liking him immediately. But I think he's actually first. Or it's he's at least uh, um, fascinated by her. <laughs> I love the mist, the misdirect here. Yeah. That was too easy. I wonder why Loki's just messing with him, I guess, is the idea. It's just their personalities. I totally buy their mutual attraction. If anything, it looks faker in the second just because the writing's much weaker. Right, yep. He does it for her and for them. That makes him worthy. He must... <laughs> you know, as single-minded and even simple as Thor is in some ways, and, and naive and dumb, and just not very perceptive, at some level, he must have to think that this would not actually be his death. And we're going to see in Ragnarok this Go, really go to the test. I mean, it, it seems almost too obvious that he's going to get killed in Ragnarok. It's the easiest way to keep him out of the movies between 2017 and the second Avengers in 2019. Um, I'm not saying they will. It, it would be the obvious move. I mean, I would be fine with it if it was done well, because in Norse mythology, like in the comic books, you can live over and over and over again. Yeah, it's a great callback with the brief, um, you know, flashback shot to uh, to Odin talking to the hammer. Right now, he beats the thing, takes Nally for a quick ride, and then never sees her again. I mean, Joss Whedon was brilliant to take basically this whole movie in terms of its concept of the Hebra and turn it into a drinking game for five minutes to get some character development. is awesome. Right, where's the armor coming from? I guess it's coming from the hammer. Yeah, this is so cheesy looking. The special effects are just not good in this, and it doesn't matter. It does not matter. 
They have Natalie Portman saying, oh my god. Alright, we don't even see. Does he take it down that easily? Yeah, this is this fight's too quick. Or there that yeah, they had to have had a more epic final battle. But it does go back to my point from the the fight in the first you know, part of the movie against the frost giants where you know, he lets all his friends work their asses off to take out a bunch of small frost giants, and then he takes out a huge, you know, frost rancor or something <laughs> with with one hammer blow. You know, it's like almost it's it, but that's very much from the comics. You know, your powers are dependent on your emotions, dependent upon your will, your desire. At least with the mutants, it's just like that. And we don't even see it. We don't see it connect. Man, they were, I wonder what the budget was on this. They were really working with not much. I mean, I mean, the Matrix movies look way better than this in terms of flying cars. All right, and here's where the corny lines start. Who cares? We've, we've earned them. It's a good luck. Uh, I maybe would have had her say it's a weird luck, but that's more a Kat Dennings line, I, su I suppose. Excuse me, Donald. I don't think you're being honest with me. Son of Cole. <laughs> Alright, she gets all her stuff back. Alright, so how does this work? He takes her for a ride where they don't kiss. Oh, see, that's the thing. It manages, okay, so their relationship manages to be the most real and naturalistic by far, but they still get in the, you know, the uh, uh, Clark Kent, Lois Lane stuff, you know, the comic book stuff. Oh, taking me for a ride. It's great. It's great. It solves the whole movie for me, honestly. I'm a huge fantasy and sci-fi nerd, but this stuff here, it, I'm just not that interested in. I mean, it's fun to watch, but, it, you know... <laughs> I just want more Darcy and Dr. Selvig. Is she still there? Oh, they took a ride. Why does he have to go somewhere? To It seems like he normally can just take off from anywhere. Oh, yeah, this is great. He's frozen in ice. Then we are stranded. Yeah, he's Captain Obvious. They recast him. But even the guy they recast doesn't even stay. I, don't know, I hope they don't have anything against Asians. It's not very nice. Alright, Heimdall does get to kick very brief ass in this. That's the thing. I mean, having Heimdall be the sort of the host, the MC of the vision of Thor and Ultron, of Ragnarok, the end of all things, at least in their world... Um, you know, they're setting up Heimdall as, as someone, hopefully, who will have a very big role in that movie. Yep, and they don't do the kiss. They do not kiss until the end of the second Thor movie. I love it. Oh, nope, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's just what I would have done. But it's a lusty kiss. But it's, that's the thing. Like, being in love and being in lust, it's not such a fine line, honestly. It's hard to know where one attraction ends and the other begins. I mean, you know. <laughs> she definitely 
would like to play some Marvin Gaye music right now. But he's going to have to wait for that. Yeah, I was hoping they'd actually... Oh, yeah, you know, that's the thing. Renee Russo, uh, I guess I won't spoil it, but she gets to do more in the second movie, I'll say that. Here, she hits one guy and then gets knocked over. I hate that. Either have the woman fight for real or don't have her fight. Don't have her, like, half-heartedly fight. We learned that she's a badass in the second movie. Yep, the Frost Giants and then the Dark Elves in the second Thor movie. Oh, that's right. That's what I was... I'm not trying to finish that thought much, much earlier, which is that, you know, I love giants and I love elves and I love elves in fantasy settings. And I think it's cool that it's in a fantasy slash comic book slash sci-fi setting. All right. That was Loki's plan was to, was to be the hero. But, um, it's just, you know, dark Thanos and Dark Elves, I just don't know how that works together. Ragnarok's going to have to bridge what we've seen in Thor from a fantastical standpoint with the more sci-fi vision of the cosmos and, and the other Marvel properties, both comic book and movie. He really looks like little Thor from the beginning. That little kid honestly looks like... It doesn't even look like his son. It looks like him. Why'd they find that kid? Yeah, it's like little Spock. It looks just like Zachary Quinto. It looks just like Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, horse riding on the bridge is fun, even when it's all CGI. I mean, it's so crazy. thing is, what this movie does well, that Guardians does well, is it makes up for some 2D-looking effects with just beautiful designs of planets and you know civilizations and the cosmos and gas giants and nebulas and stuff like that it's just so pretty in the colors and the design i'm really cool that you know it looks like the white tree of gondor Right, now Loki wants to destroy Jonheim, his home. And Thor wants to save Jonheim, which he tried to destroy. Yeah, gotta keep these guys involved, but... So, you know, I, I almost want to watch the next movie. Now after, now I'm definitely not going to do a commentary for The Dark World. It looks like I get really, really desperate, but... I kind of want to watch it because I love these characters. There's some great stuff. It starts with uh, Natalie Portman on the most awkward first date ever with the, the Scottish guy who plays Kristen Wiig's love interest in Bridesmaids. He plays the police officer who really likes her, but she rationally gets mad at him and and uh, and then she has to sort of beg his forgiveness and whatever. It's, it, they're very cute and funny together. He's so, so good. Uh, and the opening scene of that awkward day with Natalie Portman. The lighting and filming here is great. It's twisting cameras. You got weird light colors going on. Thor's hair looks pretty good. I haven't really commented on this movie. They make it look, 
you know, when he's in Earth gear, whether it's an Ultron, you know, lounging around with drinks or with Natalie Portman before on Earth, it, they make it look a little bit more natural. I think it, sort of not necessarily braiding it, but kind of pulling it back in a few places would be the way to go. It's more practical, too. God, sleepy space. Yeah, Loki's so complex in this movie. And, they, and you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I may have mentioned before, this isn't like a new thought, but there are some villains who are so good, like, you know, Heath Ledger, who make movies worth watching just for them. And there's very few actors that can pull that off. And Loki is one. And so... You know, the combination of, of Loki being even more complex in some ways in the second Thor movie and his motivations. Um, I mean, you know, let's just say they, they set up the situation so that he actually does want to side with Thor, at least briefly, at an important, uh, important part of the movie. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, and it's... <laughs> Uh, Selvig Darcy and uh, Selvig Darcy and, and Jane Foster are great in it. I can't believe that he was going to be Thor. I mean, he's got the, you know, he's even a better actor than Hemsworth, obviously. Not that Hemsworth isn't great. I mean, Hiddleston is just like, you can, it just exudes greatness. He just doesn't, look, he just looks like a bad guy. I mean, you see him in real life and he's the sweetest guy on the planet. You hear him talk. It's not like he's creepy, but. He just, he works, his smile (laughs) works so well with Loki. Oh, that's great with the hammer. Right, and so now he destroys the Bifrost. That's a cool shot of the Rainbow Bridge. (laughs) Why destroy it? Is destroying it the only way to stop? Yeah, like, it's almost like Loki put it into uh, an auto-destruct sequence, but shooting it at the end of time. Mighty Thor, there it is. Yeah, Hilson's accent's even changing. He sounds like Keith Moon. <sighs> He's totally out of his mind. Where did Heimdall go? Why can't Heimdall help in this situation? No, don't destroy the Bifrost. You'll never see her again. Uh, I knew that one was coming. Yeah, when they're on the bridge, and he's hitting the bridge, like they're connecting with it, it looks really cool. But, you know, it's so obvious when they're in CGI mode. But this is the thing. If you just make it look cool and appealing and fun, it doesn't matter if it looks real. I'm always preaching this. <sighs> Honestly, this is done with so much love. Look at that. It looks awesome. That's the thing. The machinery stuff, like with the Destroyer, looks so good. Just the fantasy stuff isn't as good. And then, you know, connecting the, the practical with the CGI. I actually think that, that that shot is decent of Loki hovering. But again, with space in the background... You have colored space. It's a little bit easier to do, but the important thing is the light, right? So the light's on the the left side of Anthony Hopkins' face, and so it's on the right side of Hiddleston's face, so it's coming from the same source. It's of the same magnitude. It's blinking roughly at the the same frequency. 
out. You know, this is great. It's 2011. Loki kills himself. Nope, he's finding a way to a realm beyond any that these guys know to meet Thanos, essentially, to get the Scepter, which has the Mind Gem, which he doesn't know. If Loki knew the Mind Gem was in there, I guess that's part of the point. It was controlling him as well. So, you know, they just set up Loki. If nothing else, it's a great story. It's very fun and funny. And it sets up Thor and Loki for the Avengers. This is sad, though. And it's not just sad for Jane Foster. Like, oh, I want to see the love story, you know, <laughs> you know, truly happen or whatever. But it's sad for everybody. They, they've come to love Thor. <laughs> hey, dude, how's space? Space is good. <laughs> I just want to see Selvig running around in his underwear. The thing is, the first like third of Thor 2 is really excellent, and then it just goes off the rails with stupidity. Yep, they told that whole tale in a minute. I'm sorry, in the, they told that whole tale in about an hour and 42 minutes. Let's have a little epilogue here. Yeah, again, the, the civilization has no people, but the architecture looks great. That's part of what reminds me of Mist, not just because of the design and the color and the shapes and the sort of uh, mechanical, mixed with fantastical look of the architecture. But, you know, in, in the first Mist game, there was actually nobody anywhere. That was that was the point. You're trying to figure out why there was nobody except these, these two creepy brothers who were trapped in books. You had to figure out who to trust. Um, in the second Miss Game Riven, they started adding people, but it, it was such a relaxing experience that the first really always remained the best. It was better that it was empty. It was very meditative. Wow. Yep. Sif looks great there. She doesn't look as good on, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe she just doesn't look as good in, in plain clothes as Warrior Princess clothes, but I don't know. They just don't know how to light her or do her hair or something. It's just like Kobe. Uh, it's just like Kobe Smulders, who plays Maria Hill, who appears occasionally on on, on Agents of Shield. Doesn't doesn't look as good. And I don't mean like you know like less beautiful. It just doesn't. Yeah, they don't know how to do it. Yeah, some people are just meant for the big screen. Some people are meant for the small screen. Some people are meant for both. Colson was definitely meant for both. Like Thor here would never work on the small screen. No, no Netflix budget could make that miniseries work. It's so exhausting, you know. And it's you know the the the, the heavy, dark, medieval Tolkienish Shakespeare stuff is it, quite tiring in a good way. I mean, it, it makes you earn it, but you know, usually that's the guilty pleasure stuff, and the stuff in the middle with the drama and the character building is the is the stuff you, you know you have to use to earn the guilty pleasure stuff it's really reversed in this movie for me i mean the guilty pleasure stuff is is everything with him and the and the team and in, in new mexico and that's what he's fighting for that's how he learned humility does he go against his father again in the second movie i can't remember yeah yeah he does to go after uh malekith or whoever the hell the dark elf king is So Heimdall's the creepiest guy ever. He could see everyone everywhere at all times and know exactly what they're doing. Now he says, 
Can't right. Thor says, "Can you see her?" Heimdall says, after laughing, "Yes." Right, she's looking for you or something. Oh right, right. She'll totally put her on the payroll. I love that. Yeah, that's how they can hide her in the stuff in the Avengers. She searches for you. I mean, how heroic is it? It's totally reversed. He, he's the damsel in distress, almost, right? I mean, she's trying to find him. He, she's doing the heavy lifting. It's great. Their relationship is awesome. The cosmic stuff is so fun to watch. I don't care that the CGI is is half-rendered or half-baked in points. Um, it's a fun movie. You get Shakespeare. You get Tolkien. You get sci-fi. You get Marvel comedy. You get Natalie Portman being cute and hilarious. You get Kat Dennings being cute and hilarious. You get Dr. Selving being just so funny. Um, it's late. I may have to go watch Dark World now just to see these characters. And that's what Marvel does so brilliantly. That's what they do so brilliantly. You know, you see Thor and Loki in this movie in Avengers. You're like, okay, Dark World's out. Doesn't I, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but, you, you know, I should have. It's, even if I knew the reviews or whatever, I should have seen it in the theater. Third one's going to be great. They just have to get the right script and director. And they need to find a way to make Natalie Portman an active participant like this one and not just a passive observer and passive love interest because she's so fabulous in this. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, you know, Natalie Portman kills it. Marvel knows what it's doing with women. I mean, whether it's Natalie or Zoe Saldana, Scarlett Johansson, um, Elizabeth Olsen, now as a Scarlet Witch, Emily Van Camp, who we're going to get more of as Agent 13, who was going to be just fine, I think. Oh, already seems very comfortable and relaxed in the situation. Is the perfect girlfriend for Captain America and still a top secret agent. You know, the one that everyone's waiting for now is, uh, I would say, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. It, it's going to be announced soon for sure. Um, you know, I mean, it, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of speculation, you know, people have been suggesting Katie Sackhoff for years from Star, uh, from Battlestar Galactica, and she would be the best, I think, by far, she's so, I mean, sassy just does not even, it, it's an insult to her, you know, ridiculously explosive, uh, personality, but when she turns on the the charm juice, I mean, you just love her. She might have too much of a dark side for Captain Marvel. I don't know enough about Captain Marvel. Maybe someone like Jessica Chastain it would be better, who's more, you know, like Supergirl or something like that. I'd rather have someone who's like a strong woman. They're also apparently looking into Catherine Winnick, who I don't talk about enough. I'm definitely going to do a Vikings. Speaking of Thor, I'm definitely going to do a Vikings podcast at some point, because I love that show. I mean, season three wasn't as good as the first two, but it's so well executed. The characters are amazing. It's everything Lord of the Rings is not. It doesn't have too many characters. Characters are both good and bad often, but they're not morally ambiguous. You're still rooting for them to do the right thing or whatever. You know, there are bad guys, but the bad guys are three-dimensional. The fighting's amazing. It's on really a Hollywood-level scale. I mean, it looks like it could be in Braveheart or better. 
I don't think it's getting enough appreciation. There's not one action scene in Game of Thrones I've ever seen that's in the top 12 of of Vikings. But uh, anyways, she plays the lead female, who is the very, very, very empowered Viking wife of um, Ragnar, the lead character, who starts as just uh, you know as just a regular Viking, and then becomes an earl of a, you know of a town, and then becomes the king of you know a small kingdom or whatever, and she ends up leaving him because he wants to have another wife, even though he still loves her, and so they're on and off with, with their love relationship, but she's doing her own thing, and she's you know she's people are trying to rape her or take over her earldom and she just takes care of them. I mean, she's an amazing fighter. She's the best hand-to-hand female fighter ever. It's not even close. I mean, it, it, as much as I love Eowyn and Lord of the Rings, Catherine, Win- um, Catherine Winnick with a sword and shield is just ridiculous. Her horseback riding, I mean, she's got it all. She's beautiful. You know, she looks, she's in the Scarlett Johansson category. Just, I mean, somehow she makes um just being so full bodied to work and being a really skilled fighter and is a brilliant actress. I mean she's been nominated for lots and lots of T V awards. So she would be great too. I don't know. I mean she's quote unquote on the old side in our late thirties, but these days, I mean, you know, the they know how much stunt work to give them. She's gonna be flying around a lot. So anyways, point being I mean, Marvel, for the most part, I mean, even Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts. Like, I loved Iron Man growing up. I know Pepper Potts was the girl, but I know have no recollection of her. And Gwyneth Paltrow is just adorable for me and very charismatic and very and uh, highly watchable. Um, and I love seeing her in the Iron Man and Avengers movies. You know, even Sif here is great. You immediately get behind her. Um, you know, as a warrior uh, princess or warrior lady or whatever. Even Rene Russo gets to kick some ass in the second movie, um, the second Thor movie. So, yeah, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I have really, really been, you know, it's, it's mid-September 2015. I think I started Bizzlecast in, like, April or May. I can't remember when I first started. It was around, it was before Ultrons. It was probably May, March or April 2015. I've just been beating this drum about strong female characters. They're so fun to watch. Man or woman or other, the person who's watching. Ethnicity, you know, let's keep getting diversity. Um, you know, I, I don't think that the X-Men movies have been bad. I, I like Famke Jensen, and, you know, I mean, there's debate about Halle Berry. I'm not sure it's her fault that, that Storm was lackluster in the early X-Men movies. Um, they certainly have underused, <laughs> criminally underused, uh, Rogue, played by Anna Paquin, who was very young when the first X-Men movie came out, but it's now, you know, a full woman. And they actually named the extended cut of the most recent X-Men movie, Days of Future Past, they named it, uh, the Rogue Cut, because they cut, like, fifth, they had this whole Rogue storyline they cut out, I can't believe it, it wasn't even a long movie, um, I've already bought it, but I'm gonna have to go fucking buy it again to see the Rogue Cut, because Anna Paquin rocks, so, Marvel's getting there, um, and we got uh, Jessica Jones, I didn't even know anything about the Defenders or Jessica Jones, I only knew about Daredevil, and that there was something called the Defenders, so, 
There's Daredevil. Everybody loves it. I've been watching it. It's pretty good. And Jessica Jones, played by Kristen Ritter from Breaking Bad, is going to be awesome as a, as a dark uh, female superhero. So keep it coming, Marvel. Let's get the ladies on board. You're starting to do it. I think we're going to have Scarlet Witch fight Scarlet Johansson in Civil War, which at first I wasn't thrilled that they were putting Black Widow on on. Iron Man side, but I've been talked off a building by a few people that that won't last forever. But seeing her fight, seeing uh, Scarlet fight Elizabeth Olsen would be great. No, there's no, there's no mid or ed, end credit sequence in this one, or is there an end credit sequence? Up oh, here we go. Here's Selvig. Oh, I totally forgot about this. Have I seen this before? Uh, we got to get some Sam, Sammy J. Oh, uh, do they show him the Tesseract? This must have been shot by Joss Whedon. This this was Joss Whedon. Has to be. They always have the... If it's taken from directly with the characters and the plot from the upcoming movie, they have that, that director do it if they can. Yeah, it's going to be in that... Uh, that briefcase. They do this so well. I just they they just fall back on Thanos as a as a fallback. Unfortunately, when they don't know what else to do because they feel like they have to build for him. You know, much better. Like the end of Thor two is a great one where they bring the ether to the Collector, played by Benicio del Toro, which teases the Guardians movie, Captain America. They tease the twins for Ultron. It's pretty awesome. Here we go. Right, so it's un- so you know they can't have Natalie Portman in as many movies as Selva because she has to be a star in those movies and she can't be a star in the Avengers movies. So there's the Tesseract, but they Selvig is the link. Oh, oh man, we didn't get to. Uh, and they tease the mind control. That's so awesome. That might be the best. I think that's the best. I mean, the twins made me the most giddy. And even in retrospect, it makes me giddier because of how great they were in Ultron. But, oh, man. Well, how do people like that? Um, I really did. Uh, you know, for me, the first 20 minutes is the hardest to get through, even though that's the big action stuff. It's just Thor's two-dimensional, and Loki's lying, and you know he's lying. And, you know, it, it's good stuff. Um so, uh, yeah, I may have to go watch The Dark World. Um, hope you all have had a good time. Don't know when I'm going to release this, so whatever the next Marvel movie is, get pumped for that. And I'll be talking to you soon. Bizzle out.